0: So we have to be really good at persuading people and we have to be really good at understanding their work and their perceptions of work. So we really focus a lot on the why. And I break down why into three, three why's. So first is why are we making a change, which sounds so simple, but a lot of times we start making a change without thinking about it. Yeah. Why are we making a change? And then we have to talk about why now we, we usually go into environments and the, the business says we're just so busy. Why do we have to do more things now? So you have to have a really compelling, uh, reason to do it right now. And then what we call with them or what's in it for me, which has often been the hardest part with them. And it's just thinking about how does this impact someone's day?
1: Hi, this is Zen in the Art of Manufacturing. I'm Brian, your host, and today I have Alison Greco with us, uh, who has a really long history in—I well, don't know how long—15 years um, in continuous improvement across a lot of different industries, and none of them actually are manufacturing, which is kind of cool. So I love you know to talk to people in different industries and how Lean and continuous improvement is applied. So thanks for joining us today.
0: Yeah, you're welcome.
1: So do you mind telling us a little bit about, you know, your background and and how you got into Lean and a little bit about what you're doing now? Because I think it's, it's interesting, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I started in engineering school with a degree in industrial engineering, which is a degree that typically lends itself really well to manufacturing. But I always knew that I wanted to do something in the business world as well. So I went on to get my MBA And then I had an opportunity to work for the railroad, and that's where I got introduced to Lean for the first time, uh, optimizing how we do railroad maintenance. From there, I had continuous improvement and process improvement roles in federal government, in utilities, and oil and gas. Uh, Along the way, I earned a a certificate in uh, my, my Lean Six Sigma black belt, And I am also a licensed professional industrial engineer. So after all of that uh, experience, I had a lot of frustrations, uh, just a lot of things that uh, I wish that I had as a practitioner of process improvement. I wanted a place to network. I wanted a place to grow and develop my skills. And I just couldn't find that organization. And so that's why I launched Continuous Improvement International about two and a half years ago. And uh, through that organization, I've been providing continuous improvement consulting and strategy. But just this year, launched the Damn Good membership for development, accountability, and mentorship of process improvers and continuous improvers. That's cool. That's a good name.
1: Damn good. (laughs) (laughs) I've been been trying to teach my kids how to use bad words without using them, you know, things like, and damn and butt and ass and those kinds of like, you can use it in a real sentence and it's actually okay and you can't get in trouble. But uh, I think I, that's kind of funny. Um,
0: <laughs> I don't think I've actually shared that with my children, but I'll think about it.
1: <laughs> I don't know if it was a good idea or not, but I did. It anyway. um, tell me just for a minute, like railroads always like fascinate me. Um, I don't know why but I had model railroad when I was a kid and, and things like that. But tell me, how does lean apply to railroad maintenance? Like what kind of things were you doing there?
0: Yeah. Railroads are a really fascinating place to work. There's a lot of uh, dynamics going on. So we use lean and railroad maintenance because you think about when you, when you shut down a highway for highway construction, you create a nightmare for traffic flow on either direction. And it's, it's no different for the railroad if you are doing maintenance on a section of railroad track, trains are literally piling up east and west of you. So we had to figure out how do we optimize that window? How can we reduce waste from the process? How can we be really efficient in planning that window? And so we are thinking about everything from how do you plan out the materials to how can you couple projects together so that um, maybe the timing's not perfect, but you can combine two projects and uh, and really reduce how much you're impacting the trains on either side, so keep the trains moving as much as possible as fast as possible,
1: yeah, so like really, looking for waste in the whole process, like everything mm-hmm. you know, so how can we speed it up and and not waste time
0: yeah yeah and and that extends to things like maintaining locomotives, maintaining the rail cars, and then even improving the back office processes like accounting and human resources that support the railroad. You can use the same tools in, in all of those areas.
1: It's so interesting to me. Cause I just never, I, th- I never think about it. Like when I hear lean, I think about machines and cycle times and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And it's really not that different. I mean, you have trains and track and locomotives and you have a certain amount of time you have to get stuff done in and it, same thing with accounting, right? Um, yep. It's just I never really think about that. It's really, really kind of interesting. Um, you know, we had we had picked a couple of things to talk about today, and I think they're kind of timely because we see this a lot uh, in at least our world. And one of them that I'm really interested in is influence without authority. Like how how do you – so in many organizations, they'll hire, you know, somebody with your background and say you need to come in and, you know, with your continuous improvement background and help us – lean everything out and reduce waste, but you're not anybody's boss. So what do you do?
0: Yeah, exactly. Not only am I, am I not anyone's boss? I'm also usually the bad guy. Uh, You know, I, I have a nickname. It's actually the ax (laughs) man because a a company hired me and they, all the employees thought that I was coming in simply to give people the ax. So I worked there for years until I found out and actually called me the ax man. So uh, fortunately they told me that they they discovered that 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 was not true yeah. that that was a misconception but uh, we're as continuous improvers process improvers we're in this spot all the time we're expected to go make some sort of change but we we don't have carrots we don't really have a lot of incentives for for people we don't have sticks we don't have punishments what we have is our our influence about reducing their frustration? Is it about reducing their overtime so they can spend more time with their family, maybe get their spouse off their back for, for staying at work too late. It's about really understanding what's driving um, others' motivations. And so it's, it really has to get a lot lot deeper into your, your ability to influence.
1: So you're playing psychologist kind of.
0: You, You are. Yeah. 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 My dad's a psychologist and it's, it's absolutely great. There's a lot of the same kind of behaviors, a lot of asking questions, a lot of listening to others and uh, really strong listening skills. It, it is, it's, it's psychology. We should all probably have uh, undergrad or, or minors in psychology to do our jobs. Well,
1: yeah, probably. I mean, is there, are there any examples or stories that you can think of where, you know, you've, you know, kind of tried to convince some people to do some things that, was a little bit tough and like tips or tricks that you have to do that.
0: Yeah. Going back to the railroad, I was asked to come in and train on a new software system that we were implementing. I wasn't involved in the, the, in the development of the software or choosing which one we were going to do, but I was tasked with going out and training people. Mm -hmm. I was really excited. I thought this was going to be a great opportunity. I show up to the first office where I'm going to train people. And it was a flop. It was an absolute flop. They they really disliked what I was saying. Uh, and none of them wanted to use the software. So I had to go and figure out, okay, how do, how do I change this? Because I'm, I'm not going to have a job if I can't get people to use the software tool. So I spent a lot of time sitting with people. And I said, show me how you do it now. I said, just, just put that software aside. Just show me how you do your process now and what's important to you. And then I was able to understand what are they doing and what are what are the challenges that they face. And then I could change how I talk about things and talk about things in terms of how can I solve their challenges. So then I could bring back the software and I could talk about it differently. So instead of just teaching them how to use a tool, I could talk about, well, I know that you have a lot of challenges in in viewing work. I know that you have a lot of challenges in collaborating with others because you can't see what they're doing. So let me show you how you can do this with this new tool. So you have to take a couple of steps back and understand.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. And trying, trying to make it relatable to what they're doing today. How do you deal with a situation where there's not really what's in it for me is really, I'm helping out somebody else and there's nothing really in it for me. Like how, <laughs> How do you deal with
0: that one? Yeah, you have to, to, to find that person's you know, willingness to to be a team player. And those can be really difficult in in working with the utilities. I helped with uh, post uh, merger and acquisition activities where one company acquires another company. And my job is to go in and find a way to choose the best processes. And sometimes in those situations, people lose because they have to say, you know what, uh, something's going to be a little bit harder for me, but I see the greater good. And those are those are tough. And so sometimes you can partner someone who might be kind of losing something or, or they might be having a little bit more uh, inefficiency. Partner them with the person who's going to benefit to make it personal, to show hey, you know, this is about a team. This is about helping out my, my coworker. And hopefully you can find something too that they're going to get, that there's some sort of trade-off. But you, you have to work on on uh, kind of their, their their heart. You know, we, sometimes we talk about hearts and minds campaigns and it's about getting people's, you know, hearts and minds to buy into something. I,
1: I like that suggestion. So like if, if, you know, if I'm having to enter data, for example, that's going to help you out, and we don't really interact otherwise. Right. Um, and you know, the, you pull, pulls us together and says, you know, here, this is, if you do this for me, this is really what it's going to mean. And this is how, you know, it improves my job and blah, blah, blah. Maybe one day, you know, it does circle back around to me. Um, but I, I, I like that. That's a really great way to, to think about that. What do you do if it, if it's, you know, a lot of times when we talk about this, at least in my head, you know, influencing how, how do you influence people when you don't have authority? You're, I think about folks working on the factory floor or people, you know, in, maybe in the railroad you're talking about. Uh, this isn't quite your example, but the people who are actually doing the work to repair the track. Right. What if it's what if you're going up the org chart? Uh, is is it still the same process? Do you do the same things or is it different?
0: It is. It's it's really the same process, but you have to shift your mindset. And, and this is where uh, I encourage people in these positions to spend a lot of time job shadowing and learning about the company. So spend some time with the front line if you can spend some time with your leader so you understand how they're motivated. So with with a front line employee, you might be talking about just their day to day frustrations with someone who's higher in the company. You might be talking to them in their pocketbook, because yeah. the more senior leaders you're talking about, that dollar in their pocket, because they tend to be incentivized by overall company performance and or, or stock prices or stock options or, or bonus structures. So you have to understand how they're incentivized and what motivates them. But the same, the concept's the same: is understanding you know their their motivations and what drives them. But you have to understand it's different for different levels of the company.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, even, yeah, same jobs, it can be different for everybody. Um, so how do you, how do you deal with that on a, on a, with a team? How, how, I mean, uh, your software training example was probably that, right? It was probably a pretty large group of people that you were training. Did you sit with all of them or did you just kind of get the gist over all of what was happening? Like, what's that process like?
0: So in, in that particular software example, I sat with the person who seemed to be very influential in the group who seemed to be the person who people uh, looked to and listened to. So that felt like if we could convince that person, then that person can probably convince everyone else. But one of our first tasks when we, when we start a project is we do a stakeholder analysis and we list down every single stakeholder group we're going to impact. So maybe it's frontline, maybe it's supply chain, maybe it's supply chain leadership. And we start to categorize how they're going to be impacted and and what might be their level of support. And sometimes we do break it down because we might have location A operations and location B operations, while they have the same job title, their culture is different or they've had different history and experiences. And so in our stakeholder analysis, we try to identify as much as we can beforehand so that we can anticipate those things and we can drive our communications around it. So we do the best that we can in in the beginning and and certainly sometimes we miss things, but it, it puts us at uh, an advantage if we can plan ahead.
1: Okay. And you're, you're doing that no matter what, right? Like on all the different projects that you've worked on, whether consulting or internal, you're kind of mapping that out. Like how is this going to affect everybody?
0: Yes, absolutely. And on small projects, it might be a, a 10 or 15 minute exercise. And on, on major transformational types of projects, it, it might take us days to work through it. And we might have to go gather information from stakeholder groups and do some interviews to get more information from them. So depending on kind of the level of effort of the project is the level of effort of the of the preparation and things like stakeholder analysis and communication planning.
1: Do you see it doing that, mapping that out even on small projects as a critical part of the success of a project, understanding what the needs are of these different groups?
0: It is. Even for the small projects, it's it's helpful. Some, sometimes we're, we're rocking and rolling on a project and we can go through it fast and we, we feel really good. And sometimes even on the small projects, we get the project team together and we'll quickly identify where we have a roadblock. And so that's when we can think about different strategies on, okay, maybe we need more sponsor involvement. Maybe we need our sponsor to get ahead of this for us and start paving the way. Or we think about who's sending the message or prep work that we need to do. So it's it's a good practice because sometimes there are some surprises that come up, or uh, maybe we assume something's going to be really easy and we figure out that it's a bit more complicated than we anticipated.
1: Is that most of the time? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably, probably is most of the time.
1: Yeah. Um, what are, what are some of the other, and I, you know, I know I didn't ask you this ahead of time. So what are some of the other critical things? Like when you're doing a, when you're going to do a continuous improvement project, you're going to kick something off, like, Hey, we're going to work on this besides understanding stakeholders and what they need and, and the three whys that you talked about, what are some of the other critical things that you have to think about to make sure that you're successful?
0: Yeah. One critical aspect to start with is identifying a sponsor. Hmm. And this is something that, that uh, we struggled with in different projects because we want to start with the lowest level. We want to solve problems in our group, in our room if we can, but we have to find a sponsor who can make decisions. So if we're, if we're changing a process, we have to find someone high enough in the organization who can have authority over changing the process. And so sometimes that means that we have to go to a director or a vice president to get the right level of sponsorship. And I made this mistake myself. We were working on in the utilities, a new process to install uh, electric meters. Mm-hmm. And we had different locations we wanted to standardize. So we tried to solve the problem on the lowest level within just our, our small group. But we, uh, when we were finally ready to propose a solution, I went to the decision maker and they said, absolutely not. It was like, we're not doing it that way we have this going on and that going on and, and you didn't know about it. And I realized quickly like, Oh, the project failed because we didn't even have the right sponsor. Yeah. If we would have engaged him at the beginning, we would have done the project at a different time. And we would have actually probably been successful and not wasted so much time and effort because so we thought we were doing the right thing, but we definitely failed on that one. So project sponsorship is huge.
1: You know, what's funny is like so many times when I talk to people, I, I learn simple things that should be common sense. But, you know, in every project, a project sponsor is really important. You know, we I used to own a company that did ERP consulting, right, project sponsorship is really important. Who's responsible for what is really important. Um, but the question we never asked or, or thought about was, does the person actually have the authority to change this stuff, right? I mean, or even the influence, like maybe they have the authority, but they don't have the influence to make it happen, right? Yeah. It's a really good point.
0: Yeah, we, we say that a lot in continuous improvement. It's just organized common sense.
1: Yeah. And they they also might not be connected. Something you said earlier too, was having you know management get out of the office, right? I think Je- Jesse DePriest who connected us, he quoted somebody that says, you know, your office is a terrible place to run a company. <laughs> and, you know, to get up and, and walk around and talk to people and really understand what's happening. Because a lot of times the sponsors, if you go too high up the the org chart, they don't know what's going on. Just because they're not close enough to it. Not that they're stupid or anything. They're just not close enough to what's going on with the with the project. So which kind of leads us to the other thing that, that I wanted to talk to you about today was was engagement. I mean that kind of kind of walked ourselves right into that one. So how do you get you know leaders project sponsors you know the different folks that are going to have to back up these projects how do you get them engaged if they haven't been in the past
0: yeah this, this is interesting and i i've had a couple of experiences where our process improvement team is really pressured to save dollars we're really pressured to deliver something that says bottom line savings So we come up with all these processes that we think have this huge benefit, but then we have a hard time getting engagement. So instead the better way is to solve problems that the department or the leader want you to solve. And it starts with building a relationship before them or building a relationship with them before you actually want to go and improve processes. And this is asking the question like, tell me what's going well in your world. Tell me what frustrates you. Tell me where you think things could be improved. And you listen for small things. You listen for things that you could help them with today or tomorrow. You bring them a resource. You help them find an answer and build the trust. And then once you can show them that, hey, I'm really here to help you. I'm really here to make your world easier then you can start to push into more challenging projects and then they're they're more willing to uh, talk to you about other opportunities that you see that maybe they don't.
1: Yes, cuz then, you know, they they back you up cuz they believe that you can deliver the results, right? Um and really help them out cuz at the end of the day, people want to know like you said before what's in for me. Yeah. Cuz we're not all altruistic. Yeah. It makes sense.
0: Yeah, but you're often uh, caught in this this little world of where you feel like you have to justify your existence as an improvement team. Some uh, I worked at one company where they said, "Well, you're just overhead, and you cost us so much money every year, so you have to justify that you can save that many dollars." And I go, "Wow, okay. So this is not just about saving dollars. This is about changing the way we do business." That will lead to dollars, but it's there's a lot of pressure to find those dollars, and so it often drives us into behaviors that are are really contradictory to what we want to accomplish, which is really culture change.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, is is it is dollars the right way to think about all these things, or is it something else?
0: Yeah, I'm going to tell you another another story. I won't I won't tell you what company it was because. Uh, it was a a difficult challenge. I worked for a company where the continuous improvement goal was simply a dollar amount. And they spread that dollar amount amongst different departments. So they said, department A, your goal is to save $100,000. I am taking it out of your budget right now. And now you have to fill that hole. So there's $100,000 you can't spend and you have to find a way to save the money. And so what happened is that those departments would end up cutting training, cutting travel, cutting outside services, finding ways to simply cut costs instead of improve because we weren't really giving them an opportunity to uh, to build up to savings. So it takes it can take months, years to get to a point where you really see those bottom line savings. So really discourage companies from, from measuring dollar savings. And instead either looking at something like a maturity model approach where we're measuring your company's behaviors on more of a survey type basis or looking to improve KPIs. So companies often want to improve something like customer service. So instead, let's set our goal of increasing our customer service scores, customer satisfaction by 10%. Let's improve our plan versus actual by some some number and looking at a, a metric-based approach, approach instead of a cost-based approach.
1: At the end of the day, I guess the, the, the metrics you pick drive different behaviors, even though at the end of the day they may result in cost savings. They could also result in increased revenue. I mean, if you, if you increase customer satisfaction, you may have decreased costs, but you probably have increased revenue also. Um, and it's, it's a different behavior that it's going to drive, I guess, versus just straight cost cutting. Cause people are going to cut. Yeah. What they think isn't important.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's not because they, because they want to get around the metric. It's not because they want to cheat. It's because they're so pressured that they feel like that's the only answer so I don't I don't think people come to work inherently wanting to do a bad job or to cheat, but sometimes businesses put them in that that situation. So in, instead, exactly, I think you hit on a really important topic. It's sometimes it's about driving revenue. So if we have better customer satisfaction, we're retaining more customers. We're we're getting more customers, and so maybe it's it's about the process improvement team helping you grow your revenue too, not just cut costs.